Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everybody. This is the 36th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. Today, we're going to talk about, are you too hard or too soft on your teens? I was in second grade. I wore glasses with a patch over one eye since I had amblyopia, or what they call a lazy eye. This did not make me the most popular girl in my class. I was very quiet and shy. The Catholic sister who was teaching my class called my mom and asked her to come in for a meeting. During that meeting, she told my mom that she was concerned about me because I was so quiet. And then she told my mom that she was too hard on me and that my mom needed to ease up. And that is super surprising that a Catholic nun would tell my mom that. And honestly, it was true. My mom at that time was very stern, and there was a right way to do everything. And I could sense my mom's anger and frustration with me, and so I would shut down at school and home. I became afraid to try things because I felt I can never get it right. And then I was afraid she'd get mad at me. Now, my dad was completely different. I always felt his delight and acceptance, and I felt I always got credit for anything I tried. He'd smile at me and tell me, eh, it's close enough. My mom was definitely not that close enough type. She was, you need to get it right, which I interpreted as I had to be perfect. Now, I hear a lot of parents say things like, I wasn't hard enough on him. I let him off too easy. I was too soft with her. I was too hard on her. Now, the thing about parenting is that one size does not fit all. You have a son or daughter. Their personalities are different. Their maturity levels are different. Some are more outgoing and some are more introverted. Some teens are already too hard on themselves and are stressed because they hold themselves to unrealistic expectations. Some really don't care and seem to have their heads in the clouds. Some are very sensitive, and some have that alligator skin, and it seems like nothing will penetrate it. Because of this, one approach to parenting definitely doesn't fit all. Frequently, I have parents come in and see me in my private practice and say, my first two kids turned out okay, and I'm doing the exact same thing I did with them, and it's not working. Yes, because they are a different kid. Okay, I want to share something that I think will be extremely helpful to you. I heard this from Terry Reel, who is a well-known family therapist. He was talking about self-esteem. So we usually think about good self-esteem as someone who has confidence in who they are. They feel good about themselves, and that is reflected in their relationships and schools and activities. We usually think of someone who has poor self-esteem as someone in a one-down position. In other words, they feel less than other people. They don't like themselves. They don't think they can do it or that they are special. 
A lot of one-down people are super talented and bright, but they don't have the confidence to put themselves out there. One-down people compare themselves to others, and that seems to confirm that they are less than others. They lack confidence and tend to have high expectations and are extremely hard on themselves. So when I say one-down, you can picture the person with good self-esteem pulling the one-down person up so that they feel they are on level with others. So none of this is surprising. But then Terry went on to say that there is another category of poor self-esteem, and this is surprising. And that's when someone takes a one-up position. A one-up position is when someone thinks they are better than everyone else. The insecurities are still there with someone who takes that one-up position. It's just more covert or hidden. Teens in a one-up position like to put others down because it feels good to be on top. In other words, they have to put others down to feel good about themselves. They tend to belittle, brag, bully, and think they are always right. When they are in a one-up position, they need to put someone else down in order to feel powerful. Teens in a one-up position tend to not be very compassionate. If they can get to you, get you upset, they think you are weak. Bottom line, when you're dealing with a teen that is in a one-up position, they need to be pulled down to have good self-esteem. They need to learn how to be okay with themselves instead of having to put others down in order to like who they are. And yes, the same child may fluctuate from taking that one up or one down position. But often, or most of the time, one state seems to be more dominant than the other. So what motivates the one down teen and what motivates the one up teen is very different. In other words, the approach needs to be very different in order to be successful. A one-down teen responds to a mom being empathic and being more open and vulnerable with her feelings. Emily, who was really hard on herself about her C that she made in Spanish, was so comforted when her super successful CEO dad shared that he made bad grades in high school. And this made her smile. A teen who tends to have a one-up position is all armored up and uses that information as a weapon against that parent. And often through contempt, a kind of mocking humor like, Dad, that doesn't surprise me. You're a dumbass. So what works with a one-up teen is external consequences. Like... Okay, you don't speak to me like that. I'm taking your car this week, and you need to clean out the garage on Saturday. That is what gets their attention when the consequences hurt. Not saying things like, How could you do this to me? I've been up all night worrying about you. A one-up teen will respond by saying something like, Well, then you just need to get a life. That one-up teen can be mean. The one-up teen needs a harder approach, but 
I would rather call that a stronger approach. Some call this tough love. It takes strength to set limits and boundaries to follow through with someone who can challenge you and literally get in your face. If you're not strong with them, then their grandiosity and entitlement continues to escalate, and they are clearly on the road to becoming a bully. You don't have to lose control, yell, or get angry to be strong, but you do need to be crystal clear and not budge. If you are strong with your teen and they see that you are not changing your mind, they often will soften, and then you can use a different approach. And when I'm talking about approach, I mean your approach to discipline. First, I want to make it clear that I do believe that our teens need discipline. The word discipline means to teach, instruct, to understand. And our teens need consequences and discipline to their actions that will help them grow into healthy adults. Discipline is not revenge or punishment for punishment's sake. There's a point to it, and the point is that your teen will grow in maturity in their life and in their relationships, and that they will grow in taking responsibility. Now, a hard approach to someone who is already in a one-down position is not helpful and can actually hurt them. It can shut the one-down person even more. A one-down teen is already extremely hard on themselves. They have a very active inner critical mean voice. They are mad at themselves for not doing well on a test, that they didn't perform well in soccer or football. And girls and guys will compare their bodies to other teens and they can be extremely hard on themselves um, with their body image. That inner critical voice sounds like this. I'm stupid. No one likes me. I'm too fat. There's something wrong with me. Many teens who are in a one-down position do really well in school, and they do perform well. But because they are hard on themselves, they can't forgive themselves for making that C on a test. And these are the ones that I often see who struggle with anxiety. And Mom, I have a question for you. Are you hard on yourself? Do you have an inner critical mean voice that tells you, What you do is not enough. You're hard on yourself for not being able to manage your life as well as other moms. In fact, you do compare yourself to other moms, and you always feel like you fall short. You don't see what you've accomplished. But you're keenly aware of where you feel like you don't measure up. That mean voice is harsh, judgmental, critical, cruel, merciless, and shaming, It's hard to thrive or be creative or enjoy your life when you're being pounded by that voice. And that's why I want to talk about how grace can be a powerful transformational parenting tool. Actually, we all need grace. Most moms are pretty hard on themselves, and many teens are hard on themselves today, which is why they say that two out of five Teenage girls will experience anxiety and depression. And why? Because we live in this culture that places unrealistic expectations on us. And if we are anything short of perfect, 
We feel judged by our peers, by our other parents. We feel less than, unworthy of belonging. You can go to bed feeling bad for not doing or being enough and wake up feeling pressured to get everything right. And so can your daughter or your son. So when you extend grace to your teen, that doesn't mean that you're soft or that you ignore their behavior or don't set guidelines and follow through with them. It does mean that at times you extend grace when you know they're aware of what they did and that they already feel terrible about it. They know they should have had a smackdown consequence and that they would have deserved that, and yet you extend grace. So what do I mean by grace? One definition in the dictionary is to extend kindness to those who do not deserve it or are unworthy. Another definition is a manifestation of favor or goodwill by a superior. Another definition is a disposition to or an act or instance of kindness, courtesy, or clemency a temporary exemption or reprieve. A while back, I told you a story about when I was a junior in high school. Um, We could leave campus to study. So I was on my way back to school, um, and it had been raining. And so I was late, so I whipped into the parking lot, and I didn't see this short gray cement cylinder that would hold up a lamppost. So I dove straight into it with with the big yellow Chrysler Newport, what I called the barge, and that big yellow car looked like a banana. It was completely wrapped around that cement post. So I kind of freaked out, and I luckily was okay, and I put the car in reverse. But of course, nothing could happen because the whole motor was ruined. The principal called my father and said, Um, Your daughter's okay. She dented the bumper, but we need to tow your car. And my dad, being smart man, said, well, why would you need to tow it if she just dented the bumper? So after that, the sun came out. Every kid in the high school looked at the big car wrapped around the post that looked like a yellow banana. And it was like the worst day of my life because I felt completely humiliated. And then I went home And my dad had gone to the dealership to look at the car, and he was horrified at what he saw, and he was just completely freaked out and was just so grateful that I was okay. But I didn't know that. And so when I'm at home, I just, I'm cringing. I don't want to see my dad. I felt already the worst day. I don't know what my dad is going to say to me. And then he came through the door. I'm just holding my breath. And then the unexpected happened. He gave me a huge hug, and he said, I love you. And then he handed me the keys to the car, to his car. And he said, I want you to start driving. I don't want you to be afraid of driving. Now, that was grace. That was not what I deserved. But how my dad handled that became a defining moment in my life that I will never forget. And here's another transformative moment in my life. I was 21, and I was accepted to work as a photographer at a camp in Colorado for teens. This was a long time ago when there was no digital pictures. 
and I told George, the head of the camp, that I could set up a photography program. So I flew from Houston to Denver, and he took me to buy equipment to build a darkroom so I could develop black and white pictures. And I was kind of faking it and was reading a how to set up your first darkroom book as I was telling the director what equipment he needed to buy for the darkroom. And the first two weeks of the camp went well. I sold 200 pictures each week, but George didn't come by to see what I was actually doing. See, I would post about 50 black and white pictures of groups of kids, and they could order on the fifth day, and then I would print them all night, and they could go home with these five and five by seven pictures of their friends. Now, the third week, I took great pictures. But later that day, something happened when I was developing the film, and I, I overdeveloped all the pictures that I had taken, which meant they were impossible to print. I had ruined the pictures. I was in shock. The next day, I started running around like a crazy woman and to try, try to take as many pictures as I could so I would have something to sell. But the pictures were definitely not what the other kids were expecting. I mean, they were terrible. They're kind of like backs of heads. But I took what I had and I posted these pictures. And then the kids started coming up. Kid after kid would look for their group picture on the top of the mountain or the group pictures of their cabin, and they weren't there. So when they looked up at that board, they were super disappointed, and they told me so. And I felt worse and worse after 400 teens kept walking away disappointed. And just then, when I didn't think it could get any worse, I see George walking up. And I thought of all weeks, why did he have to come this week? I cringed as he looked at the board with those terrible pictures. And he was quiet. And then he said calmly to me, Is this all the pictures you took this week? And my head dropped, and I said, no, I overdeveloped all the film, and I expected to be yelled at or kicked out and sent home, but instead he gave me a big hug and said, I love you, and you are doing a wonderful job. Again, grace, and I did not deserve that. In both stories, I was humiliated. I was already extremely hard on myself. That internal mean voice was pounding me. I knew I screwed up, and I was swimming in shame. There was nothing to defend. I was exposed and cringed at my punishment. But instead, I was given grace. I totally didn't deserve it, and I knew that. I was given kindness instead of being belittled, labeled, shamed, exposed, judged, or yelled at. In both instances, they offered me confidence. When I felt like giving up, they believed in me not because I was successful. They believed in me when I had totally screwed up. This experience of being believed in, even when I totally screwed up, was so healing, so life-changing. I felt loved, seen, cared for, believed in. I was empowered by their grace. Their belief in me was what motivated me to change. Grace changed me. I stepped up and became who they saw me to be. Yeah, I could be a more careful driver. I would be much more careful in the developing room. 
and I would end up making the camp a lot of money for the next four years. In other words, their grace transformed me in a way that punishment would have never. Getting what I deserved would have stopped me and continued to disempower me. That gift of extending grace doesn't work with a teen in a one-up position. First of all, they don't feel like they've done anything wrong. They typically could blame someone else. They, they're defensive. It's not transformational if you extend grace to them. They just feel they got away with something. You don't extend grace if your daughter breaks her curfew every night. You want to extend grace when the circumstances are like a first-time event, a big mistake. The teen already feels humiliated and genuinely feels bad and is starting to be hard on themselves. In many of those situations, there are already natural consequences that a teen doesn't want to repeat. The teen is already feeling shame, embarrassed in front of their friends, and that's when extending grace is powerful. You want to use that wild card of grace, and the teen knows that he's not getting what he deserves, and he's taken ownership of up what he did. He knows he's accountable for his actions. Emma was in her junior year in high school. She was extremely shy and very anxious. She had a hard time making friends and initiating with her friends. She didn't like going to teen parties because it's very intimidating to be in that social setting. She didn't like to bring attention to herself, and she was fine with just blending in. She finally got the courage to go to her friend's party, and at that party, because of her anxiety, drank too much and ended up getting sick and passed out. And so she ended up drawing a whole lot of attention to herself, and she became the story that everyone talked about at school. During the party, one of her friends called her mom. Her mom came into the party and, with the help of her friends, carried her daughter out. Mom didn't get mad or yell at her daughter when she was in the car. She stayed calm, put her to bed, and the next morning, Mom knew that Emma was humiliated and felt that horrible feeling of shame knowing that she was the focus of all her peers last night and that they would be talking about her that day. That was her natural consequence. The mom didn't need to come down hard on her. Mom was loving and kind. She asked Emma what she learned from the experience, and Emma, who was still feeling bad, said she would never do that again. The daughter expected to be grounded forever, but the mom said, I think you've already had your consequence, and gave Emma a big hug. Usually, Emma resisted her mom's hugs, but this time she just melted into her mom's arms. Emma did get the courage to go back to the parties, but she never put herself in that position again. There are a lot of mistakes girls make where they feel humiliated, like sending that picture to a boy that ends up going around the school. She doesn't need that, what were you thinking talk. She already knows that, that she made a horrible mistake. She's devastated. She's humiliated. She needs some grace. And mom, do you need to extend grace to yourself to silence that harsh critic in your head? 
to let yourself be human and not have to be super mom in every area of your life? A lot of times, we need to extend grace to ourselves when our teens aren't doing well, or they're anxious, or they just made a big public mistake. We feel like we are failures, that we didn't parent them right. We feel like we are going to be judged by our friends and the other moms, or even our moms. But if we can't extend grace to ourselves, then we can't extend grace to our teens. If we are hard on ourselves, we pass down the hard to our teens. Whatever the mean voice says to us, if we are not intentional, we will pass that mean voice down to our teens. Then welcoming and extending grace to ourselves is what's needed to be able to pass it down to our children. And what do I mean by extending grace to oneself? It means being kind to ourselves, forgiving ourselves, knowing we don't have to be perfect, that we get credit for trying to be our best, that we get to have rest and stop that ceaseless drive to be more and to achieve more. Grace is accepting that we are human and we need times to step away and recharge. Being tired is not a sign of weakness. It means we have poured a lot out and now it's time to pour back in. Grace is investing in ourselves and giving ourselves what we need to be revitalized. Grace knows that we are way more than our grades, our mistakes. Those things don't define us. Grace is a soil for love to grow, to take chances and try new things, even if we look silly or it's messy. Grace allows us to be a beginner. I believe grace is what's needed for all of us to be free, to be ourselves, and reach our true potential. So this week, when that mean voice says, Who do you think you are? Why did you do this? You simply say, It's okay. I'm okay. And forgive yourself right there. And how can you extend a little grace, a little kindness, a little patience into your teens this week? Hey, everybody, this concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I have some other great resources for you. You can head over to ColleenOGrady.com. That has two L's and two E's. You can sign up for my Dial Down the Drama triple pack. It's absolutely free. You get a copy of my free ebook, Seven Ways to Help Your Daughter and Yourself, a free chapter from my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict and Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, a guide for mothers everywhere. And you get a free subscription to my weekly e-zine. I always have a helpful article for you. If you're ready to pick up your copy of Dial Down the Drama, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. For daily encouragement, follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Colleen O'Grady, Dial Down the Drama. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.